0: All right. Hey, everybody. Good evening. Welcome back to the Mythgard Academy and our reading of The mort by Sir Thomas Mowry. We are now on session 29 as we have neatly doubled our previous long uh, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of of uh, of sessions uh, 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 per book discussion here. But it isn't like I didn't warn you <laughs> when you guys elected Lamar Darthur. Um, I'm going to be super efficient because tonight I'm going to see how much we can get through. I don't know if we'll get all the way. I don't, I'm not sure if we if we will together achieve the Grail tonight or not. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to come as close to it as we can. Um, uh, so, in the interest of that, let me go straight to my my whole my budget of announcements here because I've got uh, a whole uh, basket full. Um, First, quick reminder about our upcoming moots, which are always super exciting, and I always want to make sure that you remember first Orlando moot, Sunshine moot, that is happening down in Florida. Next weekend, that is the 23rd of this very month as is, Uh, you can still sign up for that. So uh, 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 please do look into that. Looking forward to seeing folks uh, down there in Orlando. Uh, That's going to be really fun. Some of our uh, events are bigger, some are smaller. This is going to be a smaller one, which is so cool. I really like our smaller ones. Uh, They're super fun, too, uh, because we get to kind of spend more time and it's it's more sort of intimate and cool. So that's going to be really fun. And then we have next month on the 13th of April, we have a uh, uh, Nader Moot over in the Netherlands uh, in Leiden. Uh, and uh, that's going to be cool. That's our Europe Moot for the year this year. So I hope that especially those of you over there in Europe will be able to uh, be able to join us in the Netherlands, my first trip to the Netherlands. And then, of course, Mythmoot is coming up at the end of June, June 27th through the 30th. Uh, and uh, that, as always, is going to be in Leesburg, Virginia, right near the Dulles Airport, uh, and is going to be very, very cool. So uh, uh, super excited about that, too. As always, I mean, Mythmoot is the event of the year. Um, now, uh, a few other things that are going on. First, I wanted to make sure that you were uh, to draw your attention to notice on our homepage that um, uh, we are currently running a special on our uh, science fiction one course. So if you were if you have never taken one of our science fiction su- survey courses taught by Amy Sturgis, you totally should because they're really really good, wonderful introduction uh, to sort of the history of uh, the science fiction genre. Really really great class. Um, that's on sale tuition price only seventy five dollars from now through March twenty second. So uh, 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 get a, get a, get that while you have the chance, um, and then so tomorrow Thursday the fourteenth of uh, uh, March tons of things going on tomorrow uh we have three different events that are happening over the course of the day tomorrow uh first at 11 a.m tomorrow morning i'm going to be broadcasting i'm going to be going down to the standing stone offices the uh, uh the development center uh for the Lord of the rings online and i'm going to be uh, doing a broadcast with mike drought and with chris pearson who is uh the head lore master down there at uh, uh standing stone games uh the uh the primary Lore master among the Lotro developers, uh, and we're going to have a, uh, a sort of three way geeky conversation like we have had before, talking about the game, talking about Tolkien. Uh, those are always really, really fun. That's going to be broadcast on the uh, Lotro official Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Lotro stream. Um, so that's at eleven a.m. tomorrow. Then at six p.m. tomorrow, uh, uh, Adam Mattern, one of our uh, uh, Signum MA students, is going to be giving a talk on C.S. Lewis's medieval worldview from the Discarded Image and its impact on the, uh, uh, the on the Space Trilogy. Uh, so that's a, that's a a cool topic. And then at 8.30 tomorrow night, the Mythgard Movie Club is talking about Blade Runner. The new Blade Runner. Blade Runner, what was it? 2049. I forget the numbers wrong. Uh, I always just think of it as the new Blade Runner movie. They did the old Blade Runner movie last time. They're doing the new Blade Runner movie this time. So uh, uh, So join them for that at 8.30 p.m. All those things. All three of those things happening tomorrow night. Now this coming weekend... Um, many of us are going to be gathering in New York for some Tolkien conference activity in and around the uh, the Morgan Library Tolkien exhibit, which, of course, I'm sure you've heard of by now. But in addition to the goings-on there at the Morgan—in in and around the Morgan— um, uh, also we're, we're having a, a just a sort of an, informal get together. Um, we haven't been able to do a regional moot in New York. Um, it's been difficult to organize that New York is kind of actually a, a challenging place for that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, but since a bunch of people are going to be there anyway, we wanted to take the opportunity, uh, to, uh, we wanted to take the opportunity to, um, Uh, just get together, just hang out while I'll be there uh, in New York all weekend and a bunch of people are going to be there. So we're going to get together uh, on the evening of the 16th. That is Saturday evening. Uh, We're going to get together at a restaurant in New York. Um, So what you can do, if you would like to come, we totally everyone, anyone is welcome, but we would like you just to let us know that you're coming. Just uh, if you could just RSVP so that we can have a a basic count so that we don't take the restaurant by surprise where we're going to be meeting. Um, uh, so, if you could just email to info at to RSVP for the uh, uh, for the get together, that'd be awesome. Further information on all of these things, where you send the RSVP to, where we're going to be meeting, uh, exactly the time and all that kind of thing. Um, uh, uh, Steven, as you say, wh- where you can sign up to go to some of these things, like if you want to go to the C.S. Lewis talk tomorrow, where do you where do you get, and it's at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Um, how do you do that? Go to signumuniversity.org slash events and every single one of the things that I just talked about has its own page, so you can go and get the registration details, the registration links and times and emails and everything you need will be in each one of those pages. Um, so, that is uh, uh, that is the plan. Right? So, uh, I hope that uh, uh, you guys will take advantage of all the stuff that's going on. And in addition to all of these things, just a brief note uh, that reminder that our registration is open for our summer courses as well, including our brand new course on uh, the Inklings and King Arthur. So, for Uh, You know, those of you who have been enjoying reading uh, stuff, you may remember that there was uh, the the book edited by Serena Higgins uh, called The Inklings and King Arthur. We're doing a a course on that same theme where we're going to be reading a bunch of things by the Inklings uh, on that subject. Um, uh, So anyway, it's going to be it's going to be really cool. Don't forget, those things are out there. In addition to everything else that's going on, our courses are also out there ready for uh, people to register for them. So, again, you can find that on our Signum University homepage. All right. That is all of our announcements for today. Huge list uh of announcements. Um yeah. Okay. Um So, let us get back to quest for the Holy Grail. So last time we were just about to join Sir Percival, the adorable Sir Percival in his moment of trial and temptation. Right. So let's go back to that. You will remember that last time, the sort of the primary theme of uh, what we were looking at through the first section uh, of the quest for the Holy Grail was the way in which all the rules change, right? How different things are. now you know d- trying to win yourself honor and attempting to do even something that you know not backing down from something even though though you know it is really probably impossible for you to do that is no longer a virtue right that is now that is now a vice if you see something that says don't touch this unless you're sir Galahad then don't touch it for crying out loud right um, if you're going to attempt to pull a sword out of the stone which says only the greatest knight in the world can pull me out of the stone it's no Longer a virtue to attempt that right um and of course one of the ways one of the consequences of the way in which the uh, the the in some ways anyway the moral world of uh, the Arthurian kingdom has been kind of turned on its head has been co- is one of the results of that is calling into question the you know the moral code that we've been seeing all the way through right um so um anyway um it's um uh you'll remember also one of the things that i think that we can see here uh, you'll of course recall the conversations that we've had about sir lancelot's code right in particular as regards courtly love and the way in which he was kind of deviant from the typical uh court society on that um on that section right um and one of the things we're beginning to see is that he was in fact in his um you know sort of proclamations in the 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 moral standards that he set for himself he was actually anticipating the um the moral code of the holy grail right had he remained the problem uh There's a sense in which Sir Lancelot, based on what we've heard from him, there's a sense in which Sir Lancelot is one of the only knights of the Arthurian court who doesn't have to totally change the way he does things, right? His chief problem is that he didn't stay true to his own principles, especially as regards to love and courtly love, right? As he has confessed, he stepped over the line. Again, he didn't emphasize stepping over the line carnally, right? Physically, that wasn't the point at all. Right, but that he did in fact allow it to drive the bus. Right, he did the things that he did, he has accomplished all the things that he has accomplished, not for God's sake. And he has not expressed any gratitude to God for the gifts, the physical gifts that he has given him or anything. He did everything that he has done, has been for pride and for winning the attention of Guinevere. In fact, he has been unearthly knight. He's been the greatest knight in the world, right? Uh, And it's one of the things that happens in the quest for the Holy Grail, is that that phrase shifts around a bit, right? It's still true. Lancelot is still the greatest knight in the world, but now that means something different, right? He's not only the greatest knight in the world, he's the greatest worldly knight. So, what was merely a compliment, greatest knight in the world, has now become a caveat, right? He's the greatest knight, footnote, in the world. Right. Among earthly knights. And that's a word that I would strongly emphasize that you pay attention to during the course of the quest for the Holy Grail Um, of all earthly knights becomes an important distinction now. Right. Um, One of the consequences of this sort of reassertion of the moral code or this reversal of not reversal is too Oversimplific- oversimplifying, but um, this shift that happens in the quest for the Holy Grail has the result of creating these two categories, right? You've got earthly knights who are committed to a completely worldly system, who are not even really aspiring for um, spiritual, moral distinction, right? And Sir Gawain is like the poster child of earthly knights, right? And then, of course, you have the heavenly knights, um, who are, in fact, setting themselves aside. And there is a high correlation between being a heavenly knight and being a virgin. And as we can see, and as I think becomes really clear, uh, there's way more to being a virgin than just not having sex, right? Um, But anyhow, okay, so thinking about those things... Yeah, Stephen, it's interesting. There is a sense in which Lancelot kind of serves as Galahad's John the Baptist, right? Um, that parallel—I mean, certainly the messianic parallel works, right? I mean, Galahad is very Jesus-like in many in, in many places. Um, and there's a way in which Lancelot is like John the Baptist. Of course, the primary difference—he's uh, like John the Baptist to Jesus in the sense that he comes before, right? He is the lesser prophet who comes before— um, The main difference is that it's not his job to, you know, make the path straight uh, for uh, the Messiah who is to come. Right. You know, he's not going around and actually preparing people uh, for Galahad. Um, But uh, but Stephen, it is hard not to think about that. Right. I mean, um, Lancelot didn't say, but he could have said. Right. He might have said something like, I must decrease so that he might increase. Right. Um, That kind of happened whether like the decreasing and the increasing happened uh not so willingly from Lancelot as it did from John the Baptist right but yet we can still see a similar kind of uh, uh kind of kind of trend um yeah okay anyway let's uh keep going because i've got a we, we've got a lot to talk about here so let's go back to Percival here Percival uh has a couple test. So remember the context of this. This begins when Percival is trying to catch up with Galahad, right? His entire goal is to be in Galahad's company and Galahad keeps getting away, right? He's literally pursuing him, um, in order to try to catch up and generally failing, right? Um, this, uh, comes with, so remember he's had, um, some serious problems because he doesn't have a horse, right? He's lost his horse and he can't get a horse. And there's this guy who has the black, this black horse, right? And he's like, well, you can't have this black horse, right? Unless you take it from me by force. And Percival's like, I can't take it from you by force. I'm not going to do that, but I don't have any horse. And so he eventually gets this guy. This guy gives him his, his hackney, right? You know, so he's, he's riding uh, on this non Warsteed, right? He's riding on this this little riding horse, uh, and he comes galloping in his armor on the hackney, right, after the dude who has stolen the black horse, and then the dude kills the hackney under him and, and goes away, and there's Percival, frustrated, throwing his shield and his, uh, at his uh, uh, sword down. And just like throwing his arms up in the air and saying, there's nothing I can do. I'm helpless and useless here on foot and I can't catch up with Gowhad and I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, so this lady comes along and says, Sir Percival, what dost thou here? I do nother good, nother great ill. Right? I'm, I'm not accomplishing anything here. If thou wilt ensure me, said she, that thou wilt fulfill my will, then when I summon thee, I shall lend thee mine own horse, which shall bear thee whether thou wilt. What could go wrong? Okay, so this strange lady comes up with a horse and says, (coughs) If you will fulfill my will when I summon you. Okay, so all you have to do is whatever I ask you to do whenever I summon you. Then I'll give you my horse, right? Seems like a good deal. Sir Percival was glad of her proffer, and ensured her to fulfil all her desire, because what could happen? Then abide me here, and I shall go fetch you an horse. And so she come sown again, and brought an horse with her that was inly black. That can't be good. Juan. Sir Percival beheld that horse, he marviled that he was so great and so well apparelled, And not for fun, he was so hardy, he leapt upon him and took none heed of himself. Uh, That could be like Percival's subtitle, right? He took none heed of himself, right? Uh, 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 Sir Percival, actually, that would be the perfect epitaph. That's what I would want to put on Sir Percival's tombstone, right? Sir Percival, he took no heed of himself, right? And that's sometimes good and sometimes not good. And anon, as he was upon him, that is, as Percival was upon the horse, I'm assuming, he thrust to him with his spurs, again, I'm assuming it is Percival who is deploying the spurs, and so rode by a forest, and the moon shone clear, and within an hour and less he bar him four days journey thence, until he come to a rough water, which roared, and that horse will have borne him into it. And when Sir Percival come nigh the brim, he saw the water so boisterous he doted to pass over it. And then he made a sign of the cross in his forehead. When the fiend felt him so charged, he shook off Sir Percival, and he went into the water crying and roaring and mocking great soo- sorrow. And it samed unto him that the water brent, and then Sir Percival perceived it was a fiend the which wold have brought him into perdition then he commended himself unto god and prayed our lord to keep him from all such temptations all right well that was a that was a that was a near miss right um so <laughs> Dvorah says I need to try this whole make somebody promise me whatever I want thing. Yeah, I mean it's not it's never good to agree to that, but yeah, the people who ask for the uh, uh who ask for the rash vow often seem to have things pan out reasonably well. Um uh anyway, okay. So um uh so <laughs> Stephen says this makes me more than a little suspicious of Shadowfax. That's fine cuz Shadowfax isn't black, right? So, he's obviously fine. Um Percival has screwed up here, right? Why is Percival not in trouble? Why does Percival after this incident, right? Percival just met somebody who in retrospect has uh, it was obviously a fiend, right? That lady to whom he swore that he would, you know, fulfill her will when she summoned him, right? In retrospect, clearly a demon, right, who gave him a demon horse. Uh, and he was like, swore himself to her and then rode off on a demon horse, right? Um. But after that, he doesn't get, you know... Ch- chidden for this, right? He does not now meet a, a, a recluse by the side of the road, whether his aunt or otherwise, who then says to him, ah, Sir Percival, like, you know, this this goes to show that your heart is not in the right place. Because most of the time, we've seen that one of the things about the Grail quest is that it's it's less about skill, and it's more about heart, right? I mean, it's not about, you know, as we said, some of these things look like riddles, Right. Can you parse it out? Right. Are are you bright enough to realize that the, the people wearing white are probably the good guys and the people wearing black are probably the bad guys. Don't fight for them. Right. I mean, it seems like a riddle and not always a really hard riddle. Um, but again, as we've seen, what is being tested is clearly not cunning. Right. It's not how good are you at reading the signs it is is your heart is in the right is your heart in the right place and if it is you do fine it would seem here well if if what happens to you right if what you do is a reflection of the inside percival just screwed up right how how can how is he, how, would, how, how does he still end up on the right path after this okay good several comments that i think are really relevant first veronica says a knight supposed to help a damsel, right? So he meant well. Yeah. Okay, sure. And also remember he was trying to catch up to, to Sir Galahad, right? So again his his desire was in that sense pure, right? He wasn't being selfish, he wasn't being proud. Um uh, his his motivations were not corrupt. Um and what he did, meeting a random lady by the side of the road and saying that he would be her servant, like, again, that's, as you say, Veronica, that's kind of a thing that's sort of okay to do under the circus. In retrospect, maybe should have, you know, uh, looked at this particular gift horse in the mouth, but um, but still, you know, like again, he didn't fail because of any corrupt desire on his part, right? And as Brian and Stephen both emphasize, the act that he performs, and this is something which seems, in some ways, seems like a minor thing, right? I mean, what does he do to get out of this? What he does to get out of this is just make the sign of the cross in his forehead. Right? So he's about to be plunged into this roaring river, and he crosses himself, and when he crosses himself, boom! Then, like, he's off the horse, and the horse is plunging in the river, and the river's on fire, and he's safe, just because he crossed himself. Right? Um... And that would seem, again, you can kind of make um, a—one could make the argument that that's kind of superficial, isn't it? I mean, like, he just does this, like, knee-jerk action, and when he does this knee-jerk action, it it saves him, right? But it's clearly, in that sense, not really knee-jerk, right? What we're seeing from Percival, his— Commending himself to God, right? His uh, uh his spontaneous prayer, his dedication, his faith, his his beleva, right, to use the sorry, I accidentally did Chaucerian pronunciation because uh that was a big word. Um I spent a lot of time in my dissertation talking about the word beleva, especially in Pierce Plamen. Uh sorry, a little flashback from a long time ago. Um his 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 believe, right? Uh that is the word believe means, like, creed, right? Um, it means how strong is your faith, right? Um, how, uh, how firmly do you believe? And Percival's believe is strong, right? It's good. That is his framework. Does he do the wrong thing? Yeah, but he does the wrong thing for good reasons and shows his heart is absolutely in the right place. heart and spirit are oriented in the right directions. And that's enough to save him right? Even though he's kind of clueless, more than kind of clueless, right? Um, and Matthew, I think that's a good way to, to think about it. You can say, oh, but it was just a knee-jerk reaction. Why does that matter? And as Matthew points out, um, and good Brian is saying a very similar thing, um, the fact that his knee-jerk reaction is to call on God is what's significant. As, as, uh, as Brian says, the fact that it's so spontaneous shows that it is, in fact, his, his framework, right? Um, uh, it, is, it shows that it's, that it's heartfelt. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you would think he would have maybe learned something from this, but no, he gets immediately after this into even more trouble. So he meets another lady who's even cuter than the other one. What are ye, sighed Sir Percival, that proffereth me thus so great kindness? I am, said she, a gentlewoman that am disherit, that is disinherited, right? Which was the richest woman of the world. Damazel, sighed Sir Percival, who hath disherit you? For I have great pity of you. So Veronica, notice we've got the same thing here, right? His reaction to her qua woman right is exactly appropriate right this is just what a good knight should be saying when he runs into a damsel and she says oh i've been wronged right i've been disinherited on you know uh, uh, wrongfully um you know he's like ah damsel right um i feel pity for you tell me more right so i can i can jump in and help now i've said that this is a test right uh But I've also said the Grail tests, right, the Grail adventures that the Grail, especially the three Grail knights go through, are not intelligence tests, right? They're not interpretation tests. So in a sense, this is not a test for, like, this speech that she's about to give is not a a test for Percival. Like, he, at the end of this speech, he's like... I mean, this goes way over Percival's head. He is no more enlightened about who he's talking to at the end of this speech than he was at the beginning, right? But it is a test for you and me, right? We, as readers, should be able to parse this. And certainly, by now, in the Grail quest, we should be on the alert for this kind of thing. Okay, so what's her story, this damsel? (laughs) Sir, sighed she... I dwelled with the greatest man of the world, and he made me so fair and so clear that there was none like me. And of that great beauty I had a little pride, more than I ought to have had. Also I sighed a ward that pleased him not, and then he would not suffer me to be no longer in his company. And so he drove me from mine heritage and disherited me for ever." and he had never pity of me neither of none of my conseil, neither of my court and sithen sir knecht it hath befallen me so to be so overthrown in all mine yet i have benome him some of his men and mod him to become my men yet i for they ask never nothing of me but i give him that and much more Thus I and my servants were against him, die nicht, and die. Therefore I knew no good knicht, nor no good man, but I get him on my side and I my. And for that I knew that ye are a good knyght. I beseech you to help me, and for ye and for ye to be a fellow of the of the Round Table. Wherefore ye ought not to file no gentlewoman which is disherit, and she besought you of help? Okay. Um Yes. So who are we talking to? This would be super easy. The only thing that makes this at all challenging is this slightly unexpected gender shift. I say slightly unexpected because it would have been a little bit less unexpected in the Middle Ages I'm afraid to say. Uh, That is, the relationship between women and Satan was often seen to be a bit closer in the Middle Ages uh, than modern people might uh, think. So it would not have seemed such a big... Uh, stretch but jennifer exactly this is this is satan she is talking to right this is the devil himself so this lady who is tempting sir percival this is not a random fiend right this is the prince of darkness personally who is testing Sir Percival here um not one of her consile right or her court um yeah, so, um. The Princess of Darkness. Yeah, exactly, Devorah, right? At least in this, uh, uh, in this, in this, in this current thing. Notice how she's trying to entrap him, right? Especially explicitly there at the end, right? Setting up, um. <laughs> yeah, she is just a devil woman with evil on her mind, Tarloniel. Never, never was that line more true than in this instance. Um, but, um, uh but anyway yeah uh, so she has created a situation right th- and, you know so th- there's a there's a there's an interpretive test for us right are are we tracking right are we able to see because we should be anticipating this, and as soon as we see this, we're like oh there have been there's already been bad signs right um and this is now all of our red flags are going up, not Percival right Percival thinks she's great, uh, and when she lays her trap, you are a knight of the round table, wherefore ye ought not to fail. No gentlewoman who is disherit, right? You should help me, otherwise you're failing of your oath of chivalry, right? Yeah, yeah, no, he really should. Um, And at that time, the weather was hot, Then she called unto her a gentlewoman, and bade her bring forth a pavilion, and so she did, and peaked it upon the gravel. Sir, sighed she, now may ye rest you in this heat of the day. Then he thanked her, and she put off his helm and his shield, and there he slept a great while, and so he awoke, and asked her if she had any meat, and she said, Ye, ye shall have enough. And anon there was laid a table, and so much meat was set thereon that he had marvel, for there was all manner of meates that he could think on. Oh man, wow! It's almost like wow. Also he drank there the strangest wine that ever he drank. Him thought, and therewith he was chaffed a little more than he ought to be. With that he beheld that gentlewoman, and him thought. She was the firest creature that ever he saw. And than Sir Percival proffered her love and pride here that she would be his. Than she refused him in a manner when he required her, for cause he should be the more ardent on her. And ever he ceased not to pray her of love. And when she saw him well in Chafford, then she sighed, Sir Percival, wit you well I shall not fulfil your will, "'but if ye swear from henceforth, "'ye shall be my true servant, "'and do nothing but that I shall command you. "'Will ye ensure me this, "'as ye be true kniqued?' "'Ye,' sighed he, "'fire ladi, "'by the faith of my body!' "'Ah, the faith of his body "'is exactly the problem. "'Um... Uh, okay so do you catch the other thing the other little curveball that she did notice the other little demonic mockery first we have the twisting right of his knightly oath and you notice the second thing that she does the second th- <laughs> Jennifer Pope says uh, Percival is King Pellinore's son right figures <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, it's kind of uh it, if if the scene makes you think of his dad, I can I can understand. Um okay, so notice what happened there in the middle. So much meat was set thereon that he had marvel for there was all manner of meat that he could think on. So suddenly he's fed with any meat that he most desires right along with a really good wine or at least a really strong wine right we have this little faux holy grail moment right this is what the grail does sangreal comes in the room everybody gets the meats that they most want right um uh yeah Yeah, no, Karita, I agree. A one-drink rule when you're dating because you just can never tell when you're going out with the devil, it's 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 really an applicable rule. I agree. Um, Nancy, does this mean that drinking is bad? Um, Everybody knows. This is a very standard piece of medieval moralizing. Um, Gluttony. Drunkenness, of course, is a subset of gluttony. It's the category that it fits in. Uh, when people talked about gluttony uh and you know the sin of gluttony, rarely were they talking about food because let's be honest, the vast majority of medieval people don't have the opportunity to commit the sin of gluttony right uh eating too much <laughs> is just not not uh really in the cards uh for most medieval people um so when uh, most of the time the primary emphasis on the sin of gluttony is is drunkenness uh is 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 drinking. And everybody knows that the primary danger of gluttony... Gluttony is a gateway vice, right? All of the sins of the flesh are gateway vices, but that one is the biggest gateway vice. Um, and the, ga- the thing to which it is the gateway is, of course, lechery. Um, this often is dramatized in allegories, right? So if you have a personification allegory, um, you know, when um, your protagonist who's named human soul or something... He'll walk into a pub, right? And he will uh, meet this uh, fun-loving fellow who's named uh, Gluttony, or Drunkenness, right? And they'll get along great, right? Until the time comes when uh, the dude at the bar, Drunkenness, like inescapably introduces him to his close friend, Lechery, right? And then things go seriously downhill. Um, so, um... um anyway... Um, uh so, yes, that trend that uh, uh, if you um, drink too much, it is easy to become enchaffed um, or chaffed a little more than he ought to be. Yeah, it heats up the blood and bad things can happen when your blood gets all um, all heated up. Um, uh, so, Tomas, they did drink. Alcoholic beverages all the time, very weak, especially beer. Right? Um, If you hear, like, if you've read in Shakespeare, for instance, and they talk about small beer, uh, that means mostly water with some beer in it, uh, uh, largely in order to kill the uh, the you know living creatures in it. Um, uh, Because yeah, water like raw water uh, was unhealthy, very legitimately unhealthy, right? Uh, And alcohol kills. uh, the things that live in the water right um so yeah even young children drank beer all the time but they didn't drink beer straight uh it's heavily mixed um yeah yeah exactly um so um so yeah yeah the 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 drinking the, again this is where drunkenness is an issue right this is one of the things like are you just this is why sir percival has never had strong wine before right um, he's had wine, of course. He's been drinking wine most of his life, but this is the most potent wine he's ever had, and so he gets a bit in Um Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> life made more sense when you learned that. Yeah, it's true. Uh, there's a lot of classical and medieval literature which, and like Shakespeare and stuff, Which when you imagine people constantly drinking, you know, beer and wine, as we think of beer and wine, uh, it just doesn't really seem to make sense. Um, Yeah, it's easy to get thrown off by all the drinking creator. Like, how did they possibly manage to function, right? Drinking as much as they did. Uh, That is indeed the answer to how they managed to do that. Um, Notice Percival is failing again and again, and again, right? You know, this is, this is, um, uh, this is like the how-to guide for how not to resist temptation, right? I mean, he walks into every problem, and notice how she is manipulating him here, right? Um, She is not just, she's not, she's seducing him, but she is bringing him to proposition her for love, right? Um, and then saying, no, no, oh, dear me, Percival, no, I couldn't possibly. Okay, if you swear to obey me and be my servant and do nothing except that which I will command you, then I will commit, you know, lecherous acts with you. Um, uh sorry i'm I'm using the middle English term lechery is the is the the middle English term for that sin lust is not a word usually used uh, for that because the word lust in middle English just means desire both good desire and bad desire um, uh, you can experience lust you can experience lust for God right if you desire god that's a really good thing um, that sin which we tend to call lust they called lechery or luxury even um but um Anyhow, so, um, this is, again, this seems like a complete, this is this is Percival in the midst of moral train wreck. Um, and it's, it looks like he's already crossed the line, right? He's actively propositioning her uh, uh, for love. So, I mean, think back to Lancelot, right? Lancelot, you know, if according to my reading, Lancelot and the Queen have not slept together. So, Lancelot is technically innocent of adultery to this point, right? And yet, it's very—it's technical, right? It's not his fault he didn't commit adultery. He totally tried. He just failed, right? Um, Percival, is Percival committing lechery in his heart? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right? Um, he is strongly putting the moves on her at this point. Um, she has made him sit up and beg for this. And... He seals it with a promise. Like, he has just sworn himself to the service of Satan. That's what just happened at the end of this sequence, right? This seems very, very bad for Percival. Uh, He was heading into the river, right? The Roaring River before. He's headed straight back into the Roaring River again, except this time he doesn't even seem to be aware of it. Well, sighed she. Now shall ye do with me what ye will, and now, wit ye well, ye are the knicked in the world that I have most desire to. And the twelve squires were commanded to make a bed in midst of the pavilion, and anon she was unclothed and lied therein. And then Sir Percival lied him down by her naked, and by adventure and grass he saw his sword lie on the earth naked, where in the pommel was a red cross and the sign of the crucifix therein, and bethought him on his knichthood, and his promise mad unto the good man to forehand, and then he made a sign in the forehead of his. Which is, of course, it means the sign of the cross. And therewith the pavilion turned up so doon, and then it unto a smoke and a black cloud. And then he drawed sore and cried aloud, Fire, sweet Lord Jesu Christ! Na let me not be shamed, which was nigh lost, had not thy good grass been. And then he looked under her ship, and he saw her enter therein, which sighed, Sir Percival, ye have betrayed me. And so she went with the wind, roaring and yelling, and it seemed all the water brent after her. Then Sir Percival made great sorrow, and drew his sword unto him, and sighed, Sith in my flesh will be my ma- master, I shall punish it. And therewith he rof himself throch the thigh, that the blood stert about him, and sighed, Ah, good lord, tak this in recompas- recompensation of, of that I have misdone against thee, lord. Ouch! Okay. Once again, right? Once again, Percival is saved by pure luck, right? As we might have said of Bilbo. Um, he, same thing, almost exactly the same thing. Well, in fact, exactly the same act. He makes the sign of the, for, uh, of the cross on his forehead. Now think not only of th- what that, knee-jerk reaction, as we've talked about before, tells us about him, but remember what it is, right? Why? Why do you make the sign of the cross on your forehead? Why his forehead, right? Um, He is... Notice what accompanies it, right? He makes the sign of... of, uh, uh, He bethinks him on his knighthood and his promise, and then he made a sign... In his forehead, right? He is sanctifying his mind, right? He is marking his head. He's marking his mind with the sign of the cross. Um, his belief, right? His faith comes first when he thinks of it, which is not always, right? Um, yes, yeah, Stephen says, Percival isn't a goat, just a sheep that keeps wandering off. Um, yes, yes, but again, his heart is uh, is in still in the right place. Even though, and here again, notice how he emphasizes this, right? His flesh has led him astray, right? His flesh responding to the wine, and his physical desire, his fleshly desires, overmastered him, right? And he then immediately asserts his control over his flesh. He punishes his flesh by running himself through the thigh with his sword. He immediately enacts a penance upon himself, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Carrie, I agree that the sort of the outward things of knighthood are really being driven into the hearts of the, of the Grail knights, right? and that's a good way to say it, or even... As certainly is the case with Percival and Galahad, again and again, we are seeing what what these adventures are bringing to the surface is the fact that these things are in their hearts. Right. Um, And we get this really emphasized with the contrast. Right. Because we see other knights like Gawain and like Lancelot who respond in exactly the wrong ways when they're confronted in situations like this, it might seem like Percival's, I mean, this is such a classic moment because it might seem like Percival's response to this whole situation was almost exactly as bad as it could possibly be. Right. I mean, the dude walked into every single pitfall, moral pitfall that was placed in front of him by the tempter here. Right. And yet he escaped. Why? Because his heart is pure. Um, he, uh, yes, his flesh led him astray, but he, uh, that is not, you know, that was not the reflection of his heart. Um, and Nancy, I agree. It is interesting that he assigns his own penance uh, right away. He doesn't have to be told, right? He doesn't have to be um, uh, 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 sort of disciplined to this. Remember the question with Lancelot is whether he's going to be stable, right? Whether he's he's going to be able to hold on to his conviction. Percival is as clueless as the day is long and yet his convictions are genuine, right? And that gets shown again and again. Um, and yet if this idea of punishing your own flesh, Veronica, just as you say, are, uh, are uh, you know, in order to you know, repent um, uh, for your temptation in order to sort of atone for your sins makes you uncomfortable. I can understand that certainly. Um but that it does not I you know like we've said before this seems to be I don't see any reason to believe that this text is asking us to think that Percival's response here is sketchy, right? Per- this is the right response from Percival. Um uh you know he is almost like uh, symbolically castrating himself here, right? Um, uh, his flesh has misled him, and so he is not going to let that happen anymore, right? He's He is asserting that. Um, and Brian, yes, he himself emphasizes that he's saved by God's grace, by the chance of sight of the pommel of his sword at the critical moment. And I mean critical moment, right? He was just naked in bed with Satan right then. Right? I mean, it doesn't get a much more narrow escape than that. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, Torloniel says if she were Percival, she'd go around making the sign of the cross every five minutes uh, from now on. <laughs> you know, uh, you could do worse, I think. Um, David is wondering is if the thigh wound is intended to symbolize the wounding, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jesus' wounds on the cross. Um, it's not super direct, right? I mean, you know, it's like if somebody is... So, I'm, gonna, I won't try, I'm trying to get too sidetracked on this, David. Um, in Chrétien de Troyes' Lancelot, right, Which, as I've mentioned this before, uh, the Knight of the Cart, the first uh, story. Like, the the, the, the story which invents the character of Sir Lancelot. Um, Sir Lancelot has this moment where he goes through this trial and he emerges with, like, bloody hands and feet. Like, his hands and feet are all cut up and bloodied, right? When you're standing there with, like, blood, you know, from your messed up hands and feet... That is like you know you should definitely be tracking with that right. This is he he has a set of messianic wounds. They aren't just punctures, right? Like Jesus has from the cross. But but again, like you're there nursing hand and foot wounds. You know we, we it's it, we we we're right to be thinking of messianic uh, 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 issues here. The thigh wound is a little bit less clear, right? It's 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 not so obvious as that. Um, and yet I I I I. I I do think it's certainly relevant, right? I mean, remember, it's the sign of the crucifix. There's a crucifix on his, uh, on on his, the pommel of his sword, right? So it is, in fact, the. and, you know, it's important for um, especially Protestant readers to remember that we're talking about crucifixes, generally, when we're talking about crosses. Um, uh, so... When he looks over and he sees the crucifix on the palm of his... It it is the sight of the body of Jesus crucified on the cross that he sees, which brings him back uh, to himself, uh, such that he stops thinking about the naked woman in the bed with him and instead crosses his forehead again. Um, So, yes, yes. Is there supposed to be some association, right? Some recollection of the wounding of Jesus on the cross when he stabs himself yes why the thigh instead of the hand or the foot or the side right that he stabs himself because of the sexual nature of the sin that he that's my reading of it anyway um it's his own acknowledgement like my f- it's not just his flesh in any old sense right um his fleshly desire fleshly desire for meat and drink fleshly desire for uh uh for uh the the the, the lady that led him into this trouble, right And so he symbolically uh, uh, afflicts himself in a much more intimate way. It is a little bit like if your hand if thy hand offend thee, cut it off, Stephen. absolutely. yeah, he's not quite cutting it off, but yes, it is much more like that. Um, that is I think, properly recalled there. Um, okay. Now let's shift to Lancelot. In Percival, we see a fascinating example of somebody who doesn't get anything, seems to fail every test, but comes out of it well, because he's, his, his, his heart is in the right place. How about Lancelot? And as he looked before him, he saw a fire plain, and beside that a fire castle. And before the castle were many pavilions of silk and of diverse hue. And him seemed that he saw there five hundred knectes riding on horseback, and there were two parties. They that were of the castle were all on black horses, and their trappers black, and they that were without were all on white horses and trappers. So there began a great tournament, and every each hurtled with other, that hit viled Sir Launcelot greatly. And at the last him thought they of the castle were put to the worse. Then thought Sir Launcelot for to help there the wiker party in increasing of his chivalry. And so Sir Launcelot thrust in among the party of the castle, and smote down a knict, horse and man, to the earth. And then he rushed here and there, and did many marvellous deedes of arms. And then he drew out his sword, and struck many knictes to the earth, that all that saw him marvelled that ever on knict meek do so great deeds of arms. But always the wheat connectives Hilled them nigh about Sir Launcelot For to tire him and wind him And at the last, as a man may not ever endure Sir Launcelot waxed so faint of fichting and travailing And was so weary of his great deedes That he meek not lift up his armies For to give on stroke That he went never to have borne armes All right Um <laughs> figured this one out Deborah right yeah, we, It's again you look at this and you're like wait I understand but you see what's Lancelot's problem right what's what's his issue here Lancelot's problem Percival can blunder into every situation and be like I don't know what's going on here right I'm just gonna help the lady because that's what I'm supposed to do you know he can swear himself to obey the devil and be fine. Why does Lancelot screw this up? Why is what Lancelot does more wrong than what Percival did by hopping into the bed with Satan? Right. Um, And the answer is, right, or seems to be, Lancelot thinks he knows what's going on. Right. Lancelot looks at this. He sees a fair plain and a castle and many pavilions and 500 knights getting ready to be in a tournament. And where he's home, right? He's like, oh man, this is my backyard. Oh, tournaments, I am literally a pro at this, right? I know just how to do this. I am in my element. I know how this is supposed to work. And the decision that he makes is exactly the... And I I think this is important to emphasize... Exactly the decision that would have been the right decision. Remember when Sir Palamides did exactly the same thing when he and Tristram... And Sir Dinadan and Sir Gareth came to the tournament at Lonazep together, the four of them, and they said, Okay, what side should we go in on? There's King Arthur over here, and there's the King of North Wales over there. Which side should we go on? And that would have seemed to be a no brainer, right? There were all four of them knights of Arthur's court. Like, you should side with Arthur, right? But no, Sir Palamide says, No, let's side with the enemies of King Arthur because they are the weaker side, right? Let's, let's, uh, Let's win worship for ourselves by supporting the weaker party against King Arthur. And that was clearly the right decision. Clearly the right decision. And everyone praised him for it and everybody agreed. Right? A year ago, this would have been, no matter what color horses they were riding... Um, and what color their trappings are, this would have been exactly the right decision that he made. And the reason that he made it would have been totally acceptable for the increasing of his chivalry, right? That was, again, explicitly the argument that Palamides made before the tournament at Lonazep, And everybody said, good on you, Palamides. That is exactly what we as good and noble knights should be doing, Right? And that's just what Lancelot does, and he is absolutely, completely, and, Devorah, as you suggest, even obviously, wrong. Right? And this is one of the things that I was referring to when I talked about... Um, one of the things that, that I was referring to when I talked about how we... Um, uh, the reversal of things in the Grail quest can't help, it seems to me, serve as an indictment of the old system, right? We can't really look back at... like that scene, right? That scene before the tournament at Lannazep, which at the time we were looking at and saying, okay, this is Sir Palamides doing everything right. It's hard to feel the same way about it anymore, right? I mean relative to its surroundings, that still seems true. And yet, so it's not that now we look back and we're like, oh, actually, I guess Palamides was wrong. No, he wasn't. The whole system is wrong, right? The problem is much deeper than Sir Palamides. Sir Palamides was doing it right. Sir Lancelot here is doing it right. The question is the it involved, right? The entire system that they were trying to live up to. And it's... Um. Uh, it's not just notice it's not just a lesser standard right it's not just attempting to achieve a lesser good and therefore failing to achieve the greater spiritual good the reversal here the shifting of the rules in the grail quest suggests it was corrupt from the beginning We've been saying, right, we've been, we were saying for like 500 pages, it's okay to try to increase your worship. There's nothing wrong with trying to increase your worship. Remember, we've been saying that for 500 pages, but now all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I guess in retrospect, it wasn't okay to try to increase your worship all the time. Maybe, maybe they should have been thinking about something else all along, right? Um Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's hard for me to avoid that kind of conclusion from this section. Um, The way that Mallory goes along with the shifting of the rules in the Grail quest really does kind of call the whole thing into question. And remember, Lancelot's own moral code anticipated that, right? Lancelot has already been saying... He's already been, like, calling time out, right? Suggesting, okay... This code that everybody accepts, these rules that everybody plays by, this game that we're all involved in, right? This like paramour, everybody has their paramour, and you love a married woman, and it's no big deal because everybody does it, and it's it's normal, and and everyone's trying to increase their reputation, and everyone cares most about who whether they you know where you are on the leaderboard. Um, everybody's acting like that's okay, Lancelot, it, partially was saying, hang on, this isn't all okay. But he didn't even, he didn't do it fully, and he didn't even live up to that, right? And now we're seeing, yeah, maybe we should have been thinking about this all along. Um, And notice how he fails. This is, to that's to me one of the most remarkable things. Lancelot doesn't get knocked off his horse, right? He doesn't... He believes he knows where he is, right? He thinks he's in his comfort zone here and that he knows just the appropriate action to take. It turns out to be the inappropriate action. And what's the result? The result is not him getting run through by a lance, as we've seen happen like to good old Sir Melius, right, that was knighted by Galahad and then immediately skewered thereafter. Um, instead, what happens is he succeeds, and in his success, fails. He does his thing. He it, It's a classic Sir Lancelot tournament, right, where he comes in and did, does many marvelous deeds of arms, like such that it's like anyone who saw him would marvel, that one knight might do so many great deeds of arms. Yeah, that's the Lancelot way. Classic Lancelot tournament right there. That's why he didn't even participate most of the time, right? Uh, because, you know, then he would just win every day. Um and how does he fail? They just cra- they just let him wear himself out. Right. now, keep 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 doing marvelous deeds. Yeah. Keep the marvelous deeds coming. And where does that get you, Lancelot? At the end of the day, when you have worn out your body so you can you can't even lift your arms anymore for all the marvelous deeds that you've done. Where does it get you? Nowhere. Captured is where it gets you, right? It's useless. It's not that he, you know, it's not like Superman and Kryptonite or something like that, right? It's not like he goes in and suddenly finds that, you know, the strength that he used to have was gone. This is not a Samson moment, right? He has everything that he always had. He does just exactly what he used to do. It's just that he finds, having done it, it gets him nowhere. And it accomplishes nothing. And in the end, he's captured. Um, here's the explanation. The die of Pentecost, one King Arthur held court, it befell that earthly kings and earthly knictes took a tournament to getters. That is to say, the quest of the Sankria. So notice how the, 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 our holy person here, uh, our holy person interpreter um, is now comparing the quest of the Sankria itself to a tournament. He's using a tournament metaphor to describe the quest of the Sankria. Of these the earthly kinectes were thy which were clothed all in black, and the covering betokeneth the sinnes whereof they be not confessed. And they with the covering of wheat betokeneth virginity, and they that hath chosen chastity. And thus was the quest begun in them. Than Thu beheld the sinners and the good men, and when thou saw the sinners overcome, thou inclined to that party for bobounce and pride of the world. And all that must be left in that quest, for in this quest thou shalt have many fellows and thy betters, for thou art so feeble of evil trust and good belief. This, Madhit, when Thu were there where they took thee, and lad thee into the forest. And anon there appeared the Sancreel, unto the wheat Cnictis, but thou were so feeble of good believe and faith, that thou meek not abide it, for all the teaching of the good man before. But anon thou turned to the sinners, and that caused thy misadventure, that thou should know good from vine glory of the world. It is not worth a pair. And for great pride thou maddest great sorrow, that thou hadst not overcome all the wheat knictes. Therefore God was wroth with you, for in this quest God loveth no such deedes. And that made thee a vision to say to thee that thou were of evil faith and of poor believe, the which will mock thee to fall into the deep pit of hell if thou keep thee not better. Um... Yeah, now, so Brian, it's not Lancelot who's seeing the quest of the, of the Holy of the Sankariel as a tournament, right? The, the, this is the explanation of what he saw. Now, remember, these were real knights. This was an actual tournament that was happening, right? Um, this is one of those things which is a real thing, but it's also a sign, right? It's also an, allegor- an, an enacted allegory in addition to being a genuine tournament uh, 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 populated by real people. Um, the characterization of this as a tournament, right? Il- the illustration of the quest for the Sangriao as a tournament seems to be tailored to Lancelot's understanding. And to show Lancelot this about himself, right? The quest of the Sangreal is the tournament. The Knights in Black are the sinful knights who went into the quest without confession, without leaving behind their sins, right? While still embracing and unrepentant as we saw Gawain be unrepentant. Remember Mr. like, I don't need to do penance because my life is so tough anyway. It's like penance every day, right? Um, and, uh, you know, to which, remember, the uh, the priest was like, well, <laughs> right? Um, those are the knights in black and the knights in white are the ones who actually have the right attitude who are actually approaching this with purity who have cleansed themselves right and of course the knights in black were losing right you don't want to fight for the losing side when the losing side is corruption being overcome by purity right that's 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 you're not impressing anybody with that, Lancelot. Right? Um, and what motivated him? Ball bounce and pride. Uh, I think that bobounce is my word of the day. Um, uh, it means, like, uppity arrogance, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, notice... It's like this entire thing is thrown for Lancelot's benefit, right? This whole sign is meant to show him something about himself. It's not a test in the sense that, like, had Lancelot passed, then he might have been able to move forward in the Grail quest. The whole thing's a done deal. Remember, there's no suspense in the quest for the Holy Grail at any point. There's no suspense. This is, in that sense, not a test. It is an illustration. It's a lesson, not a test. Um, and it is designed to teach him about who he really is. Um, uh, and to show him that he is of evil faith and poor belief. Well, speaking of Knights in Black, back to Gawain. Gawain's disconsolate because there's like this quest is the lamest quest ever, right? All the adventures have dried up, like all of those damsels that used to hang out by wells, just in order to lead knights on adventurous quests. Like they've all retired or something, right? I mean, nowhere are there adventures anymore. Complete this, this land is dead all over now. Sir Gawain, him so he's having a vision here now. Again, somebody still attempting. "'to teach Gawain stuff. "'Sir Gawain seemed he come to a meadow full of herbes and flures, "'and there he saw a rack of bulls, "'an hundredth and fifty, that were proud and black, save three of him was all wheat, and one had a black spot, "'and the other two were so fire and so wheat "'that they meeked be no wheater. "'And these three bulls which were so fire, were tied with two strong cordes. And the remnant of the bullas sighed among them, Go we hence to seek better pasture. And so some went, and some come again, but they were so meagre, that they meek not stand upreaked. And of the bullas that were so wheat, that own come again, and no more. But one this bu- wheat bull was come again, and among these other, there rose up a great cry for a lack of wind that filed them. And so they departed on here and another there. Okay. We can do this one, right? You feel like you're getting sufficient training that you might want to set up yourself as a wayside allegorical interpreter now, right? Um... uh, 150 is a pretty good indicator, right? I feel like we can do this pretty well. So there's 150 bulls and 147 of them are black and three of them are white, but one has a black spot. Okay, all right. We're tracking here, right? We've got our three grail knights who are the only white bulls in this pasture. Um, and we know that Sir Bors is the only one of the three of them who isn't a virgin, right? Because he did beget a son that one time but he's repentant, and it's okay. So he's got a black spot, but he's otherwise still really white. Um, uh, uh, he's not quite pure. Uh, and he's the one who's going to come back, right? The other two white, completely white bulls that can't be any whiter aren't going to come back. Um, Go we hence to seek better pasture. What are they talking about? What are the bulls talking about here? What is the departure of the bulls to seek better pasture? Yeah, so Boris is this is the one with the spot. Let's, yeah, the Grail quest. Exactly, um, the Grail quest. So notice what this, how this vision characterizes it, and what a rebuke this is to Gawain himself. Why did Gawain? Gawain was the one who started it. Gawain was the first one to take the oath to go seek the Holy Grail. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? For the wrong reasons is why he did it, right? Because the Holy Grail comes in and they're all served with the meats that they want but they couldn't see the Holy Grail, right? He's been denied the vision of the Holy Grail so he's like, I want more, right? I have not, I have been, you know denied the, like, pinnacle of achievement I'm gonna go get myself some of that, right? Go we hence to seek better pasture They're trying to improve themselves, right? There's a there is an adventure that has not been accomplished, and you know, if you accomplished it, man, the worship you could rank, you could rake in with that. Whoever you know in- achieves the Holy Grail is going to, you know, oh man, like endorsement contracts for life, right? You shooting straight to the top of the leaderboard, right? If you if you achieve the vision of the Holy Grail, so, and that seems pretty clearly to be Gawain's motive again, especially in retrospect, and. All 147 Black Knights seem to have a similar kind of motivation according to this vision, right? So this vision, which does seem to be designed to rebuke Sir Gawain, um, and he seems sort of not to get, right? And notice where it ends. It ends with a prophecy of what's to come. After the bulls return, many of the bulls are not going to return, right? Um, but after the spot, the white bull with the spot returns, pretty soon the pasture's going to break up. Right? It's, 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 we've come over the top of the wheel of fortune, and we are headed down the other side. This is both a chastisement and a warning, this vision. Right? Not that Gawain cares. He's still just kind of he hasn't had a, even a joust. Like, he meets this knight, fortunately, right? So he's had this vision, which whatever, 147 black knights. Uh-huh. And uh, But then the next day, he sees this knight coming towards him. Um, and he proffers to joust. And he's like, dude, in the name of God, said Gawain, for sith and I departed from Camelot, there was none that proffered me to joust but Onis. I've only had one good joust ever since I left. Right? Talk about lame, and now, Sir sighed Sir Ector, let me just with him, nay, ye shall not, but if I be beaten, he hit shall, shall not forthink me if ye go to him after me, and then either embrassed other to just, and so they come getters as fast as their horses meet Wren that they brast their shieldes and myles and thon on more than the than the t'other. But Sir Gawain was wounded in the left side and this other knight was smitten through the breast that the spear come out on that other side. And so they both fell out of their saddles and in the falling they brack both their spears. Notice, in a sense, Sir Gawain, you could say he does, I won't quite say he does everything right. Um, His refusal to let Hector have a go Right. You know, his insistence, no way, man, I'm not going to let you win glory. I'm going to keep this glory for myself uh, unless I get beaten. Right. Is not a plus chivalric behavior. But apart from that, I mean, come on, how many times have we seen exactly this? Right. You're a knight adventurous, and you... Encounter another night, random night somewhere in the woods. What do you do? You don't introduce yourself. You don't shake hands. You don't check to make sure this person is not your sibling. No, you joust with them, right? You test yourself against them, and uh, it's all it's all part of the part of the game, right? And that's ex- and this this game which Gawain has not been able to play in a long time. Finally, he's able to recover some of this, right? In this in in this incident. You can see the similarity to Lancelot's approach at that cel- celestial tournament, right? He's Gawain, even more forcibly, is uh, playing by the old rules, lamenting that the old rules seem to have passed, right? than he prides or Gaw- so. The, I'm skipping a little bit here. He takes the knight, the mortally wounded knight, now to a, a nearby chapel that the mortally wounded knight guides him to, right? Than he pried Sir Gawain to draw out the truncheon of the spear out of his body. Then Sir Gawain asked him what he was. Sir, he sighed, I am of King Arthur's court, and was a fellow of the round table, and we were sworn to gitter, And now, Sir Gawain, thou hast slain me. And my name is Sir Uwain Leavutras, that sometime was son to King Urien, and I was in the quest of the Sancreal. And now forgive thee, God— for it shall be ever rehearsed that the ton sworn brother hath slain the other. Alas, said Sir Gawaine, that ever this misadventure befall me. No force, said Sir Owain, and I shall die this death of a much more worshipful man's hand meek I not die. But when ye come to the court, recommend me unto my lord Arthur, and to all them that, I, that be left on live, and for old brotherhood, Think on me. Yet yeah, Carrie says, until this time, flesh wounds were just flesh wounds. Yeah, this kind of thing didn't happen that often back in the old days, right? This kind of unhap, though, again, remember Lancelot's pronouncements from that famous speech that we looked at before anticipated this kind of thing, too. When you do play those chivalry games, chivalric games, right, whether it be the courtly love thing or whether it be the winning worship for yourself thing, um, it leads to Unhap. Uh, and here Gawain has the Unhap to kill his sworn brother and also his cousin, uh, his first cousin, Sir Uwain, the son of Morgan Le Fay and King Uriens, right? whom we first met back in the Gawain, Uwain, and Marhalt section. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is Gawain's punishment. Um and Gawain's lesson, which he does not really seem to learn at all, right? The ru- this is what happens when you play by the old rules. The old rules are not good anymore, Gawain. Gawain and Ector. This is Ector, of course, Lancelot's brother that Gawain is traveling with. And they meet Nassian, the hermit, who is like the heir apparent to Merlin. his side, sort of Gawain. Full soothly have ye said, and I see it openly. Now I pray you tell me why we met not with so many adventures as we were wont to do. Nascene has just explained his vision about the hundred and fifty bulls. I shall tell you gladly, said the good man. The adventure of the creel which be in showing now, ye and many other have undertaken the quest of it, and find it not. For it appeareth not to no sinners. Wherefore, marvile ye... "'Marvile ye not, though ye file thereof, and many other. "'For ye been an untrue knight and a great murderer, "'and to good men signifieth other things than murder. "'For I, say as sinful as ever Sir Lancelot hath been, "'sith that he went into the quest of the Sancreel, "'he slew never man, nother nocht shall, "'till that he come to Camelot again. "'For he hath taken upon him to forsake sin.' And ne'er were that he 'nis not stable, but by his thought he is leekly to turn again; he shall be next to enchief it, self Sir Galahad his son. But God knoweth his thought and his unstableness, and yet shall he die raight an holy man, and no doubt he hath no fellow of none earthly sinful man living. Sir sighed Sir Gawaine. It seemeth me by your wordes that for our sinnes it will not avail us to travail in this quest. Truly, sighed the good man, there had been an hundred such as ye been shall never prevail but to have sham. And when they had heard these wordes, they commanded him unto God. Then the good man called Sir Gawaine and sighed, It is long time, sith that ye were mad connect. And never sinnes servid thou, and never sinnes, since, that is, since you were made a knight, never sinnes servid thou thy mocker, and knew thou art so old a tree that in thee is neither life, neither leaf, nor grass, nor fruit. Wherefore bethink thee that thou yield to our lord the bar rind, sith the fiend hath the leaves and the fruit. Sir, sighed Sir Gawain, and I had leisure, I would speak with you. But my fellow Sir Ector is gone and abideth me yonder beneath the hill. Tarloniel <laughs> says, I have to iron my dog. Bye. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Jennifer says, Gawain is pretty, getting pretty good at the brush off, right? Um, yes, uh, Gawain's top 10 lines to deliver to hermits so as not to repent. Um, yeah. Um, are you saying, like, why why haven't we met more adventures than we were wont to do? Um, because... You are a sinful man who has not repented from your sins. You came on this quest as we try as you were tried to be shown in that vision, right, which spelled it out kind of clearly, but um you went into this quest for selfish reasons without repenting of your sins. You've had buckets of opportunities to repent your sins, and you've not done it. Lancelot now. Lancelot is a sinful man, right? Um but he at least has repented since he has been on the quest of the Sancreo and has you know, like actually dedicated himself to not committing the same sins anymore since he's been on the quest of the Sancreo. Notice, if not for the fact so Lancelot, Lancelot's repentance is genuine, right? Nassian tells us that Lancelot's repentance is genuine. um, And he is this close to being able to achieve the Holy Grail? Why can't Lancelot achieve the Holy Grail? Because God sees all things, including what's going to happen in the future. God knows that although Lancelot's repentance right now is very sincere, he has... Interesting question. Whoa. Syria wants to pipe in on this question. Um... <laughs> despite the fact that Lancelot is currently sincere he um uh he's not stable right He has some unstableness to him right um and he's going to go back on his word. he is going to slide back into sin um that's going to happen. God knows it God knows that it's going to happen, and so because of his unstableness. Yeah, you're right, Stephen. I should have asked Siri uh, how to achieve the Holy Grail. Do you think she knows? Um, anyway. Um, yeah, and Marilyn, no. I can't imagine Gawain in a hair shirt. I can't, right? Gawain uh, is doing the exact opposite of wearing a hair shirt. The final appeal here that Nasi and the Hermit. Makes to Gawain, is really compelling, right? It's been a long time since you were made a knight, and you have not served God at all since that time, right? You are an old tree; the leaf, the grass, the fruit of your life is already past you, right? The fiend has had the leaves and the fruit. Consider, just think about. Maybe you there is still time. For you to dedicate the empty rind of your life to God, at least do that, right? It's too late to live a good life. You've blown it pretty thoroughly all along the way, Gawain, right? But you still could dedicate the rind, Uh, the bare rind, to God. And Lance and Gawain is like, oh, look at the time. Sorry, no, I would, but I've got to go, right? Um. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, Siri doesn't know, David. That's too bad. That's too bad. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> A transfire said that Siri does know how to achieve the Holy Grail. Okay. Well, there you go. That's one of Gawain's problems, right? Um, maybe Siri is taking over as... Uh, that actually would be... Um, um, you know, I suppose if we we're doing a 21st century version of this, that would be one way to do it, right? Like you have a vision, um, you know, you have this dream of like a you know a field with 150 bulls, and and you know, and then you're just like, you know, hey Google, interpret my dream of the 150 bulls. Um, it would work instead. You know, you could have Alexa instead of recluses, right? Um, anyway, let's go to Sir Boris. We still have time for Sir Boris. Here's Bo- now, things get start to get tricksy with Boars, right? Uh, and because remember, Boars is uh, we get these different cases. So we've had the Percival case study, we've had the Lancelot case study, we've had the Gawain case study. Now here's Boars, and Boars is that um, uh, uh, Boars is that interesting? Not middle ground. He is a white bull, but he's got the black spot, right? So how are things for Boars? Okay. And anon, as he was asleep, him befell a vision, that there came two birds: that one white as a swan, and that other was marvellous black. But he was not so great as was that other, but in the likeness of a raven, a raven. And when then the wheat bird came to him inside. And thou woldest give me meat, and serve me, I shall give thee all the riches of the world, and I shall mock thee as fire and as wheat as I am. So the wheat bird departed, and then come the black bird to him, and sighed, And thou serve me to-morrow, and have in me no despite, though I be black, for wit thou well, that more availeth mine blackness than the odour's wheatness. And Than he departed. Than he, that is, Bors, not the black bird, had another vision that he came to a great place that which seemed a chapel, and there he found a chair set, on the lift side of which was a worm eaten and feeble tree beside it, and on the right hand were two floors like a lily, and that on wold benome the t'other their whiteness, so that two flowers are like fighting, and the one flower is going to strip away the whiteness of the other flower. But a good man departed them, that they touched none other, and then out of each floor come out many floors, and fruit great plenty. Okay. What do we make of this? How do we know what's going on here? There's the white bird and the black bird that are advising boars. The white bird says, if you will give me, if you'll feed me and serve me, I'll give you all the riches of the world and I'll make you as fair and white as I am. And the black bird says, serve me and don't have any despite in me, right? Serve me and don't be ashamed of me, though I'm black. Because my blackness avails more than the whiteness of the other. It's a no-brainer, right? White bird, black bird? Obviously. you got to go white bird here, right? Clearly. And then there's this business about that, so there's going to be a worm-eaten and feeble tree on the one hand... And it's on the left hand, which is a bad sign. Anyway, it's not too attractive. And then on the other side, we're gonna have the two flowers. Okay. All right. You're boars, what do you do? And there befell him a marvelous adventure. So he met at the departing of the Two Wise, Two Canectus, that lad Sir Lionel, his brother. All naked, bounden upon a strong hackney, and his hondes bounden to forn his breast, and average of them held in their hondas thornes wherewith they went beating him so sore that the blood trialed down more than in an hundred places of his body, so that he was all bloody to forn and behind. But he sighed never a word, as at which at, at, as he which was great of heart. "'he suffered all that they did to him, "'as though he felt none anguish. "'And anon Sir Bors dressed him to rescue him, "'that was his brother. "'And so he looked upon the other side of him, "'and saw a chenict which brought a fair gentlewoman, "'and wold a her in the thick of the forest, "'for to have be the more surer out of the way "'from him that sought her. "'And she which was uh, nothing, a su- nothing a suited,' cried with an high voice, Saint Mary, succour your maid. And anon as she seek Sir Bors, she deemed him a knight of the ruined table, whereof she hoped to have some comfort. Than she conjured him, by the faith that he owed unto him, in whose service thou art entered, and for the fi- the faith ye owe to the high order of knighthood, and for King Arthur's sack, which I suppose madly knighthood, that thou help me and suffer me not to be shamed of this knicht. What do you do? Nancy says, it's just like Turin. Yeah, almost. Almost. Devorah, I was also thinking about the first one who asks you to do something in Aslan's name. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking of that too. It's almost like Prince Rillian there, right? Not quite. What is the right thing to do here? And why? And how do we know? What are you going to do, Boars? Are you going to rescue your brother like your own physical brother, right? Lionel is his big brother. You've got your own brother tied up and bound and tortured and being carried off for probable execution. And you've got this gentlewoman who's being hauled off to be raped in the woods. And who is calling on you to save her. What do you do? What's the right answer to this question, and how do we know? Brian, it is interesting that Lionel is suffering but not complaining or asking for aid. Um, you know, Brian is suggesting that Lionel, in his own suffering, is almost suffering. Uh, is, 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 it's, it's like a, a parallel to Jesus' own sufferings. In a way, yeah, it does kind of look like that. Okay, so rescuing the brother would be. <laughs> Boomful says, "Okay, first make sure to save your game." Yeah, yeah, I agree. You should definitely do that, Carrie. Yeah, rescuing the brother would be like Earthly Worship, right? Um, first of all, we need to remember we've been told the answer, right? Um, it, uh, we should be able to do this without a recluse now. Right? There's a chair set like a, like a seat of judgment. And on the one side is a worm-eaten feeble tree. And on the other side is two white flowers like a lily. And the one is going to try to strip the other flower of its whiteness. Right? But what happens? When a good man parts them, right... Let's keep, keep it clean, flowers, right? Um, let's not have anybody crossing the flower boundary here, and let's keep both of these flowers white, right? Um, and what happens? Each flower, Out of each flower comes many flowers and great plenty of fruit. In retrospect, it seems fairly clear that Sir Lionel, his brother is the feeble worm-eaten tree. And the damsel is a white flower. And the rapist is the other white flower. Because the rapist is a virgin, too. He also is... uh, It is for the benefit not only of the woman who is being raped, but of the man who would rape her. And fruit shall come from both of them should this incident be stopped. But if it is not stopped, then both of them will be lost. Bors is being told. There's some relevant gospel material here, too, right? Anybody recall a relevant teaching of Jesus that seems relevant right about now, especially when she starts saying, by the faith that you owe to him in whose service thou art entered and for the faith, right? Jesus did say that the time might come, you know, uh, you know, he who loves his father or mother or brother or sister more than me is not worthy of me, right? Um, that seems to be coming into play here. Um Yeah, wanting to save your brother, totally legit, right? Absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. Um, And rescuing a a fellow knight in distress is totally, that would be, that would gain you earthly worship, right? And you would have potentially earthly shame uh, if you allow your brother knight, not to mention your own brother, um, uh, to be uh, taken off and tortured and possibly killed um she has called out to him in the name of Jesus in the name by, by the faith that he owes to Christ um and he has to choose between that faith in Christ and his own brother and again Jesus says that that choice is a choice that might come and when it does come he says what the correct answer is difficult though that answer might be right um So that's tough, but relates clearly to the vision, and the vision even kind of explains it. Right? If he saves Lionel, what happens? Well, he saved Lionel, but Lionel is a feeble, worm-eaten tree. Right? Is Lionel bearing fruit? Lionel's not bearing fruit. Right? The other two are bearing fruit. Um, Yeah. So... Boris does the right thing, right? And he soon meets a priest, dressed all in black. And he asks him, right? He's like, hey, dude, are you a priest? And the other guy's like, I am totally a priest. And he's like, hey, if you're a priest, you can tell me about this vision that I had, right? White bird, black bird, worm-eaten tree, white flowers, right? Can you interpret that for me? So he begone so much to tell him of the great bird in the forest, and after told him of his birdies on wheat and other black, and of the rotten tree and of the wheat flowers. Oh yeah, the great bird in the forest is the the great bird that pecked itself, and then its blood came out, and so its chickens, uh, the baby birds, were all starving to death, and the bird stabs itself in the chest, and blood comes out, and the baby birds drink the blood and are and are saved. Right, but the bird who pecked itself in the chest dies, right, gives its life in order to, uh, so, and he just kind of saw this. He kind of wanders by, and this bird does this and kills over dead, and he's like, huh, how about that, right? So that's the first thing he tells the priest about, and then his vision with the two birds and of the rotten tree and the white flowers. Seer, I shall tell you apart now and the other deal tomorrow. The wheat fowl betokeneth a gentlewoman, fire, and rich. Which loved thee paramours and have and hath loved thee long, oh, didn't see that coming and if that thou warn her love, that is if you if you if you say no, right, if you play hard to get here, if thou warn her love, she shall die anon if thou have no pity on her, that signifieth the great bird, which shall mock thee to warn her now, for no fear that thou hast. Nay, for no dread that thou hast of God, thou shalt not warn her. Don't say no to this lady, Bors, that would be wrong. For thou woldest not do it, for it to behold in chast, for to conquer the loss of the vine glory of the world. For that shall befall thee now, and thou warn her that Sir Launcelot, the good cousin, the, the good knight thy cousin, shall die. "'And thon shall men see, say that thou art a manslayer, "'both of thy brother Sir Lionel, and of thy cousin Sir Launcelot, "'which thou mightest have rescued easily, "'but thou wentest to rescue a maid, which pertaineth nothing to thee. "'Now look thou whether it had been greater harm of thy brother's death, "'other ellis to have suffered her, to have lost her maidenhood. "'Then, then sighed he, Now hast thou heard the tokens of this dream?' "'Ye?' sighed Sir Bors. "'Than is it in thy default "'if Sir Launcelot, thy cousin, die.'" "'Okay, so there is a lady, "'the dream means there's a lady who, is, "'who loves you, paramours, "'and if you don't sleep with her, she'll die. "'It is your duty, Sir Bors, "'to have sex with this lady.'" Because if you don't, she'll die. Oh, and Lancelot will die too. If you don't sleep with this lady, your cousin Sir Lancelot will die and it will be your fault. And everybody will say that Sir Bors didn't sleep with this lady and so he just killed. He might as well chopped off Sir Lancelot's head, his own self, right? Because he was so selfish, he wouldn't even sleep with this lady. Right? And why wouldn't he sleep with this lady? Because he's like, Oh, I have to remain chaste, right? Why? Vainglory. That's why, right? Don't be like, oh, I have my virtue, right? I am too good for that kind of thing. Conquer the loss of the vainglory of the world, Sir Bors. Come on now, right? Don't be so stuck on yourself here. Do it for the lady. Do it for Sir Lancelot. Right? You've got, it's your job to sacrifice your own exalted self image. Like, I'm too good to sleep with ladies for the sake of saving their lives, right? Uh, and I, my own chastity is more important than, like, the life of Sir Lancelot, right? How vainglorious is that? Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Brian says, okay, be sure not to let your fear and dread of God cause you to fail to sleep with this lady. Yeah, that is kind of a bad sign, right? Because, Brian, it's being glorious. That's the reason, right? Because you're just puffing up yourself. You're just trying to prove that you're Mr. Virtuous, right? Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, um, <laughs> says, I'm so confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, no, Devorah, this guy totally said he was a priest. Boris asked him, right? Boris sort of checked his credentials. He was like, are you a priest? And he asked him that because he was wearing black, right? It's like, are you a priest? And the other guy's like, I am totally a priest, right? You absolutely can trust me. And so here he goes, right? Um, <laughs> and then <laughs> Sir Bors' final test he gets to this castle and meets the lady in question, right? And the lady in question is like, Sir Bors, you have to sleep with me or else I'm going to die. And he's like, ah, no, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and then she goes up to the battlements and is like, if you don't sleep with me right now, I am going to throw myself off this battlement. Right, and my blood will be on your head. Then she departed, and went up to an high battlement, and lad with her twelve gentlewomen, and when they were above, one of the gentlewomen cried, Ha, ah, Sir Bors, gentle knight, have mercy on us all, and suffer my laddie to have her will, if ye do it not... We must suffer death with our laddie for to fall down of this high tower, and if ye suffer us thus to die for so little a thing, all laddies and gentlewomen will say you dishonour. So we're really ratcheting up the pressure on Sir Bors, right? For so little a thing. Like seriously, how big of a deal is it? Like get over yourself the whole like, no, I just really, I don't want to have sex with you. That's, I shouldn't do that. Come on, Bors, have a sense of proportion here. All of these poor ladies are going to die if you don't sleep with her and she's real pretty anyway and she's into you. Seriously into you. Right? So... What harm, <laughs> Ben? This this castle isn't the castle Anthrax, but it's quite a bit like it. Um, yeah. Then look at he upward, and saw thy seemed all laddies of great estate and richly and well besane. Then had he of him great pity. Not for than he was not unconciled in himself, that lever he had that all had lost their souls. than he his soul. And with that they fell all at onus, unto the earth, and when he saw that he was all abashed, and had thereof great marvile. And with that he blissed his body and his visage. right. And anon he heard a great noise and a great cry, as all the findes of hell had been about him. And therewith he saw another tower, laddie, and a gentlewoman, another no chapel, where he broked his brother to. Then hilled he up both his hondas to the heaven, and sighed, Fire, sweet Lord, Father, and God in heaven, I am grievously escaped. Um, yeah, good, Brian. Brian points out one of the flaws in their pitch here, right? Get over yourself, stop puffing yourself up, but make sure you worry about how the rest of the world will bra- will blame you for their deaths, right? Exactly. It's mere vainglory that is leading you to this, you know... Uh, high esteem of your own sexual virtue bores, right? But everybody's going to say dishonor of you if you let us die, and that's totally what should motivate you, right? Yes, agreed. Uh, There is a telling contradiction there, right? Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, DeForest says clearly he should have crossed himself sooner, right? Yeah, Percival, uh, Percival has his own problems, but he probably wouldn't have let things get quite this far, right? Um, he had lever they had all lost their souls than he his soul right that might seem a little cold right like i'd rather they all get damned than i get damned right better them than me right doesn't really seem like the purest uh uh reason but actually i i don't fault bores for this i i think that this makes sense than perha- more sense than perhaps it sounds at first <laughs> sir Bors is not pushing them off this battlement right Um, they are choosing to throw themselves off, right? I mean, it's really, the question is, they're saying, we are going to kill ourselves if you don't do this thing, right? He's like, I know that doing the thing they're asking me to do would be wrong. If I do it, even for the sake of saving their lives, right, that will be, I will be doing a wrong thing. If I refuse it, they're threatening to do a wrong thing, right? That is, commit suicide, but, like, that's on them. Like, I'm not forcing them to commit suicide, right? Uh, like, if, if the choice is, do I do a wrong thing or do I allow them to do a wrong thing? Like, the right thing to do is you let them do the wrong thing. I mean, it's... it's uh, Exactly. Uh, the only soul he has a say over is his own. Exactly. Um, and that's that's basically what... I, how I read that sentence, anyway. Um this is a tough test for Sir Boris, right? Um, It's maybe a little over the top. (laughs) I find it delightfully over the top. Um, But, um, uh, I mean, this is like a level of peer pressure that few people are compelled to face. Um, And so, Karina, uh, you're right that, like, medically speaking, it would seem unlikely that... uh, uh, like very few people have actually had failure to have a sexual encounter as their cause of death on their death certificates. Right. It's, it's unlikely in fact to be fatal. Um, but there's like an inside joke here, uh, because that's exactly, that is exactly the argument that like almost every courtly lover ever has used when the guy, when the courtly lover is trying to get his lady to sleep with him. Um, this is, like, the, absolutely the number one argument. Like, they all say this, right? Have mercy and pity on me, for if you don't have mercy on me, I shall surely die. Like, you know, the condition of love in which I am in is fatal. And, uh, you know, I have received my mortal wound, and, um, and such is my condition that the only phys- physician that can heal my wound is the one who gave the wound. Right? I mean, these are, these are all courtly love clichés, um, everybody talks like that. So it's kind of it's it's sort of like, like an inside joke. Right. But it's instead of just a piece of wheedling. Right. Instead of a, instead of a, uh, a, 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 a sort of silly appeal. Nancy is recalling, of course, that was Uther's thing. King Uther thought he was gonna die for lack of sexual encounter, <laughs> right um yeah, that is how we kicked off the book, Nancy, you're absolutely right. We can see this is this is this is part of the thing, right this is part of how people think, and she appeals straight to that right again, not in the um i don't know sort of simpler way um it's much more kind of earnest, right? Especially when you then bring in the deaths of 12 other people. Very few courtly lovers have ever attempted that one, right? Lady, if you don't sleep with me, like not only am I going to die, but these 12 other guys are going <laughs> to die too. Like, that's uh, the stakes a little bit higher than is p- totally normal here. Um, of course, we recall that um, we find in the end, of course... That first priest was absolutely a fake priest, right? Sir Bors's Sir Bor's situation is fascinating because just when we thought we had the code pretty well worked out, we get double-switched, right? First, the white bird was not the good one. The black bird was the good one, right? He was supposed to side with the black bird, not the white bird. Shock number one, right? And shock number two, there was a fake priest, right? Oh, there was a wayside allegorical interpreter who was not wrong, not innocently wrong, but who was a deceiver, right? Who was, who was a fiend in the end, um, and Marilyn exactly. World worldly riches equals bad. Yes, the the white birds' appeal in the dream did contain enough clues for us to figure that out, right? Um, yeah yeah um yeah Stephen says the white bird's offer sounded a little bit too much like Satan's offer to Jesus, yes I t- you know the kingdoms of the world, all this shall I give you uh, if you will bow down and worship me yeah uh, uh, a little bit a little bit like that, right um yeah yeah um and remember the appeal that the blackbird that the raven made, right, if you are not ashamed of me although I'm black, right, then, you know, then you'll be blessed. The other bird was black but beautiful, it turns out. Um, you could get the clue to the correct interpretation of that if you knew every medieval interpreter's favorite book of the Bible. <clears throat> What's every medieval allegorist's favorite book of the Bible? Who knows the answer to this question? If you are into allegorical interpretation of the Bible, which almost everybody in the Middle Ages is, what's your favorite book? No, it's not Revelation. That's a good one, but that's not the main one. No, 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 no. There's a way better one. Everyone in the Middle Ages' favorite book. Xenia, you've got it. The Song of Solomon is everybody's favorite book. If you are into allegorical interpretation, you love the song of songs right you love the song the canticle of canticles song of solomon absolutely everybody's favorite right um where the guy is christ and the the, the lady is the church and we can do a full inter when he goes through and describes all oh, how beautiful her body is and her breasts are like rows that are leaping on the mountaintop it's oh man we can totally work with that right um Every single feature of, the, uh, of the, the beloved sexy body in that love poetry uh, is uh, lovingly allegorized by the church. It is absolutely fantastic. And, of course, she is black but beautiful. Right. Anyhow, okay, um, so uh, here we have the true interpretation, right? Also the laddie for whom ye fucked for. And king Aniaus, which was lord thereto, betokeneth Jesu Christ, which is king of the world. And that ye fought with the champion for the laddie, thus hit betokeneth. When ye took the battle for the laddie, by her shall ye understand the new law of our Lord Jesu Christ and holy church. And by the other laddie ye shall understand the old law and the fiend which all day wareth against Holy Church. Therefore ye dud your bataille with reeked, for ye be Jesu Christus connectus, Therefore ye ought to be defenders of Holy Church. Right, so Bors in fight, and we didn't look at this scene, but when Bors fought for the lady who had been like disinherited from her land, so he meets a lady, Bors meets a lady who's been disinherited from her land and he fights to defend her inheritance and wins. And it's right. And it turns out she's not Satan. Instead, she represents Holy Church. Right? So see, like, just when you thought you had all the codes down and you were a whiz at this, you get to the tale of Sir Bors, and all of a sudden now you got to be a little bit more on your toes, right? And by the black bird, meek ye understand, holy church, which saith, I am black, but he is fire, right? That's the Song of Songs quote, um, because holy church is the woman in Song of Songs, the, the, the Song of Solomon, who says, I am black. And by the wheat bird may men understand the, fi- the fiend. And I shall tell you how the swan is wheat without forth and black within. It is hypocrisy which is without yellow or pale and seemeth without forth the servantes of Jesu Christ, but they be within forth so horrible of filth and sin and beguile the world so evil. Also, Juan the fiend appeareth to you in likeness of a man of religion, and blamed thee that thou left thy brother for a laddie, and he led thee where thou seemed thy brother with slain, but he is yet on life, and all was for to put thee in error, and to bring thee into one hope and lechery. For he knew thou were tender-hearted, and all was for thou shouldest not fiend the aventure of the Sancreal." And the third fowl betokeneth a strong battail against the fire laddies, which were all devils. Bors is told there is a huge battle coming up, right? You have a major battle in front of you. The major battle in front of him was not a literal battle, right? It was the battle with the fiends. The, 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 the castle anthrax parallel was his big battle um, to, to resist that. Um. Uh. Anyway, um. Notice how I, the the story of Sir Bors is immensely complicated and really really interesting. Again, especially coming after all those other things. Notice what the plan was. He he was shown a fake corpse of his brother, right? To lead him to think he was first told he had done the wrong thing. You chose wrong, Bors. You should have saved your brother. Not that random chick, right? You should have saved your brother. Now look, here's your brother's corpse. Don't you feel bad for what you did? Don't you now question that you know what's right and what's wrong, right? You think you do, but it's just vainglory, right? You thought about your own reputation for chastity. You thought about your own vaunted purity instead of the life of your brother. How dare you? You should be ashamed, right? And that would lead him to one hope, which is despair. That's the Middle English word for despair. And despair would lead him in turn to lechery. That might not seem obvious, right? Like depression, not necessarily leading to fornication, right? That might, you know, the wine to fornication seems a little bit more of a well-trodden path here, but, but you can see how Bors was being set up, right? The whole fake corpse of his brother thing, the, whole, the despair that he was being led into, the whole thing is to shake his belief, right? To shake his faith, to shake his confidence that he knows what's right and wrong, that he knows what he should do. And then once he is already in that one hope, then the lady lays the heavy peer pressure on him, right? Theoretically, we shouldn't even, even had to have gone as far as threatening to for the all 12 of the other ladies to throw themselves off to, right? Um, okay. Uh, let's wait on the three spindles. It's late. Okay, so uh, this is a good place to end. We did we did Percival, Lancelot. Gawain and Bors tonight. After this we get into the final <laughs> symbolism overload, yeah. We final we, we get into the final sequence, right, leading up to the achievement of the grail. Everyone's gone through their individual temptations and now Percival, Bors, and Galahad get together. Everybody's riding hither and yon on boats uh, for quite some time and we get all kinds of symbolism all over the place and we find the most helpful interpreter and storyteller of all who is, of course, Percival's virgin sister. We'll get to that stuff next week. So um, it had been my goal to achieve the Holy Grail by the end of this week. We didn't quite get there, but we've not done too badly. Um, Read the, read the first half of the, uh, the tale of Sir Lancelot and Queen Guinevere next time. My hope will be to begin it. We're not going to get all that far. I think in the, we're almost a week behind. We're gonna be almost, but I think we're going to be less than a full week behind. I think that next week we'll get through the Holy Grail and then probably be able to begin um, the uh, tale of Lancelot and Guinevere. So, or the book of Lancelot and Guinevere. Um, so we'll see. At the very least, we will, in fact Finish the quest for the Holy Grail next time and be a week behind. But anyway, so we're doing all right. Um, Okay. Thanks everybody for joining me, and I will see you guys next week. Bye now.